Let's return to our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. Take your Bibles, go with me please to Genesis chapter 9. We're at the place where God's wrathful flood is now over. The earth has been cleansed. The ark is empty. The first thing Noah did was he built an altar, made a sacrifice unto the Lord. God smelled a sweet savor and he blessed Noah and his son saying, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. God also graciously established his covenant to never flood the earth again. And as a token of this covenant of mercy, God set his bow in the cloud. So we're off to a good start in the post-flood world, amen? Things are looking good. The earth's been cleansed. We're seeing altars built, sacrifices made. God establishing covenants. But then we come to our passage today. We're going to see again today how the cleansing of the earth did nothing to cleanse the heart of man. Look with me please in Genesis chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 18. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine, and knew what his younger son had done unto him, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. And Canaan shall be a servant. Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Amen. If there's anyone here today who has ever desired to be a pastor because you're excited at the opportunity of methodically going verse by verse through the Word of God, Do yourself a favor and try to rightly divide this account until you feel like you have it figured out where no one will have any questions. (laughs) This is such a unique passage. It's led to many assumptions. All kinds of speculation have been taught from this passage as though their speculation is being blatantly stated. But many times, what some teach from here cannot be assertively declared if they're honest with the Scriptures. In fact, this portion of Scripture has been so abused that it once was used to justify the inhumane African slave trade. It is still used to justify white supremacy. And all of that is absolutely absurd. And it's truly shameful how people can take the Word of God and twist it to justify their wickedness. Did you know the Bible never mentions skin color in relation to races? 
God doesn't see people in terms of color. By the way, we're all just different shades. Somebody said, no, you're white. No, I'm not. Stupid. Why do I even get up here? Sometimes I don't know. God's people shouldn't be any different. Listen, the Bible says in Acts 17, 26, speaking of God, that He made all... He made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. We've all descended from the same parents. Right? We, we all came from Adam and Eve. We later all came from Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives. I've said it before, I'll say it again, but racism should never be found among the people of God, ever. I'm not going to tolerate it here. And, and back to my point, though, about this being a very difficult passage. I'd imagine this ranks in my top five most difficult passages to interpret list. I got a lot of these lists, amen. (laughs) And this is a difficult one for me if you try to dissect it. Say, preacher, you know what I think? I think you're stalling because you don't know what it says. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Amen. After hours upon hours of studying this, I still can't dogmatically say what actually took place. I know there's probably someone here, you're the big dog on campus, and you've got it all figured out, and you can't wait until after the sermon to come and show me the smoking gun that I missed. But despite the immense confidence in your abilities to nail this one down, if it's anything other than what is clearly stated, then I hate to bust your bubble, it is still just your opinion. And it's really quite fitting that we've landed on this passage after the last two installments of our series through Daniel on Wednesday nights where I have purposely made the point of saying the main things in Scriptures are the plain things. The plain things are the main things. And where the Scriptures are silent, we should learn to be silent. We must be careful here not to make the text say something that isn't stated. And if we try to dissect this and we can't definitively prove our position, we need to announce that this is only our position, our This is only our opinion. So I had a decision to make. Do I attempt to explain this or do I leave it alone? And I can just let you deal with it on your own. Well, I guess I'm here for some reason. I don't really know, but I know there are those among us that I need to prove that I've actually given this thought or else the line out my door will be extensive i got to prove I'm not trying to avoid difficult situations, difficult passages. So for those that want to prove to me your point, this one's for you this morning. (laughs) Preacher, aren't you about to violate your own standard? Yeah. Let's do this. Here are some questions that I believe we are confronted with when we study this passage. At the end of verse 21, we read, And he was uncovered within his tent. Did Noah uncover himself? Or did someone enter his tent and uncover him? Many modern versions actually have changed this to make it read that he uncovered himself, and it will state that very plainly. But to add that to this is forcing a preconceived position into the text. By the way, that's the problem with modern versions. They're doing that. They are forcing preconceived opinions into the text. But that's a whole other thing. 
In verse 22, Ham saw the nakedness of his father. Did he only look upon his father or did he physically do something to his father? One can use the language from Leviticus 20 verse 17 to show that seeing nakedness and uncovering nakedness are both expressions of a physical relationship in the Bible. In verse 24, Noah awoke from his wine or he sobered up and it says he knew what his younger son had done unto him. What was done to Noah? Does this prove that it was more than just looking? In verse 25, Noah curses Canaan. If this was a sin of Ham only, then why is the curse pronounced upon Ham's son, who happens to be his fourth son, by the way? Why aren't any of the other sons cursed? Why is it just Canaan? And if Ham is the one doing the sin, why isn't only Ham being cursed? So with these kind of questions in mind, here are some of the more popular theoretical scenarios that are out there. And you will find others. But I'm trying to keep this as brief as I can. And due to the ages in here, I'll try to speak in generalities and trust you can read between the lines. Here's one. Noah got drunk, laid down uncovered in his tent. Ham saw his father's uh, uncovered. He mocked and dishonored his father for being in such an inebriated state. Because God had just blessed the three sons of Noah, somebody has to be cursed, therefore it goes to Canaan. Or, as some people will say, Canaan receives the curse because perhaps he was already demonstrating the same behavior that Ham was doing. Here's another scenario. Noah got drunk, laid down in his tent. Ham either saw his father uncovered or uncovered himself and took advantage of him physically and then bragged about it to his brothers. And for the same reason just stated, Canaan receives the curse. Here's another scenario. Noah got drunk, laid down in his tent, and because uncovering your father's nakedness, according to Leviticus 20.11, can mean having a relationship with your mother, Ham took advantage of his mother, and because a husband and wife become one flesh, Noah could still awake and say, I know what was done unto me. It's at this point that some will add, that Noah's wife would have conceived as a result of Ham's incestuous act, and the child was born, and the child that was born was Canaan, therefore Canaan is the one that is cursed. I take issue with that. I think it opens the door to say if somebody's born through or conceived through rape, we have all the biblical reason to just abort them. And I don't think that's the heart of God. Now, all of these positions that I've given you so far have merit. I personally believe it's a stretch to say that Ham conceived child with his mother. I think that goes a bit too far in my opinion, but I can see why people arrive at all these conclusions. And the simplest answer may just be what we read at face value. Amen. Maybe that's the right thing to do. Haman saw his father uncovered. He mocked his father. He sowed discord among his brethren. God hates that. Canaan received the curse. But i got to be honest with you, I'm having great difficulty getting past the fact that Canaan's the one who is cursed when he didn't have anything to do with it, seemingly. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The, righteous of the, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, 
and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So with that in mind, I do think there's room, I do think there's more than meets the eye here to, to be able to say that something happened. Canaan must have done something because he's the one that's cursed and he should bear his own iniquities. Everybody with me? There's like a heaviness here right now. And so, yeah, I'm going to violate my principle here of remaining silent. I'm going to give you my opinion to show that I'm not avoiding the issue. And I was pleased to find out others hold my position, so I'm not going rogue. (laughs) Amen. If you want to refute my opinion, then when you're up here, you can do so. And then you can give your opinion, but that's all it'll ever be. It'll be your opinion. All right, well, there's some... (laughs) Somebody wants to get cantankerous, man. Just let it go. It's not that big a deal. All right. So let's not get crazy here, amen? As of now, and you know that's code for, I can change my mind at any time I choose. (laughs) As of now, this is just my opinion. Noah got so drunk he didn't know what was going on. I think Canaan enters Noah's tent and uncovers Noah. And I believe he, he probably did something to Noah. According to Noah's own words, he knew what his younger son had done unto him. And I believe it's Canaan because Canaan receives the curse. It, it would be, I can't find anywhere else where this happens to somebody else. The closest I can find is when David and Bathsheba conceived in an adulterous relationship and God said that child will die. But that's a whole deep can of worms that if we were to open that, we'd realize God said, it's because you gave occasions to the enemies of God to blaspheme. So there's a lot going on there that's not going on here. But, but this, this would be unprecedented if it was Ham who did all this and yet Canaan receives the curse. So this is why I'm of the opinion, I think Canaan did something. Um, and if you'll come back next week, I'll show you the line of Canaan and you'll see how this holds even more water. But... Noah, he sobers up, he knows what his younger son did unto him. Canaan receives the curse. Deuteronomy 27, 20 says, Cursed be he that lieth with his father's wife, because he uncovered his father's skirt. The curse goes to the one who did the uncovering. Is everybody following me? But wait a minute, preacher. Canaan was not Noah's younger son. He was his grandson, Ham's son. Well, there are occasions in the Bible where a grandson is referred to as a son. You can look over in Genesis 29.5 as an example. Verses 18 and 20 are clear that Canaan was the son of Ham. Therefore, it's entirely possible for Noah to be referring to his grandson Canaan in verse 24 as his younger son. Now, based off of the connections of the language between here and Leviticus chapter 18 and 20, it's definitely possible that Canaan did something physical to his father or his mother, and the severity of the curse seems to suggest that this was something more than just viewing his father's nakedness. And I realize this is a bit of a stretch, but it kind of fits the curse It could be Canaan bragged about this to his father Ham, possibly as a move of dominance within the family. You'll remember when Absalom tried to usurp the throne from his father David, he slept with his concubines in front of everybody on the roof. And so what was that? It was a power play. But the reason I say that, Canaan here, what is his curse? We we read it several times. You're going to be a servant. You're going to be a servant of servants. 
You're not going to have any authority. You're not going to lead anybody. Just a thought. Instead of Canaan being the head, he would be the tail. Well, Haman somehow, I believe, becomes aware. Uh, Again, all we can do is speculate. He verifies this by seeing his father's nakedness in verse 22. I think what Ham did was likely just view. I don't know that there, I don't think there would have been a physical act there personally because of what we read in verse 23 where Shem and Japheth, they go in backwards and the whole scene obviously is they set their faces away from their father. They don't look backwards and they cover him without ever looking upon his nakedness. And so I think that's the context also in verse 22. He actually saw but didn't necessarily do something. Noah, I believe, sobers up. He realizes what was done, not just what was seen. Noah proceeds to prophetically pronounce a curse upon Canaan, which seems in my mind to show that Canaan did something. Now, that's just my opinion. Amen? None of the positions can be proven dogmatically except for what we clearly read. Therefore, your opinion versus my opinion isn't worth dividing over. Somebody say amen right there. Think you got to know everything, don't you? But I just wanted to show I gave this some thought so you can get off my back. Amen, you're welcome. Now, with the time remaining, I want to go back through this. I want to focus more on what is clearly stated, the main things. As we come to this section, we need to understand that this count does not immediately follow verse 17. God has set the bow in the cloud, but this does not immediately happen. Many years have passed when we come to verse 18 and following. Say, how do we know this? Well, for starters, Noah's able to plant a vineyard and reap a harvest. There's been at least a season or two, but not to mention um, Canaan is mentioned... And he's the fourth son of Ham. And all the children, the Bible says, were born after the flood, if you look at chapter 10, verse 1. And so we're probably a good two, three, four decades removed from the flood by the time we get to verse 18. So since verses 18 through 20 are pretty self-explanatory here, let's go ahead and skip down to verse 21. It says, And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, why is this event even recorded for us? What a strange thing when you think about the life of Noah. Up to this point, Noah has a stellar resume. He's the man. He survived the flood. That's enough right there. But we, we know that Noah was the one who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. God chose Noah to be the patriarch of the new world. I mean, Noah, up to this point, nothing's out of line. Now, we, we know he was a sinner, but nothing's recorded that, that is a, a blot on his record. And so, what, why is this re, recorded for us? This is the only negative thing recorded about Noah's life. And sadly, it's the last thing recorded about Noah. Most make the application, and I'm in agreement, that this demonstrates that while man is the penman of the Bible, God is the author. Man doesn't normally record his greatest faults. Especially not these great patriarchs. But also this account shows us, and this is what I want you to get, this account shows us the flood did not fix the sin nature of man. Hey, Noah was still a sinner. And, and always remember this. The best of men are only men at best. 
Don't put your confidence in man. They will disappoint you. Your parents will disappoint you at some point. Your children will disappoint you at some point. Your pastor will disappoint you at some point. That one. (laughs) Why? Because at best we're still just men. We're still sinners. We have a sin nature. You're better off not to put your confidence in man. But understand this, the Lord will never fail you. I've always said this, the closer you get to men, the more you see their faults. Those you held in high regard, if you got to know them, you'd realize, good night, why did God call him? Amen. I would never run down previous... Uh, men of God, but as I got close to some of them, I realized that's not the man I thought he was. But the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you see that he is perfect, that he will never fail you, and that he will always be who he said he was and is. An important point in this event is it shows us that Noah is not the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. Remember from chapter 5, there was almost a hint that Noah was going to be the one as they were naming these kids. We were going through that. Noah means rest and comfort. And there was this hint that maybe maybe this is the one, kind of like when when Eve thought, uh, maybe it's Cain. Oops. Maybe it's Noah. Oops. What's the problem? They're men. And and so we're, we're, we're told this about Noah to understand he is a sinner. He's not the one. And at the end of the chapter, it says he died. He cannot be the one here. He, he, he's, he's been in sin. We, we are meant to understand we're still looking for one who will be sinless. Whoop. We're still looking for one who will fulfill all the law. Every John Tittle, dot every I, cross every T. We're still looking for one who can be the Redeemer to be the promised seed of Genesis 3.15 that could bruise the head of Satan. Because that's what we need. Amen? I hear a baby saying amen. Praise the Lord. Some of you adults need to get on board. Noah was a saved man. Hebrews 11.7 makes it clear that Noah became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. But we're seeing here in our text, we still need to look for another whose life is untouched by sin. Christ still needs to come to save mankind from their sins. And I thought I was going to get there today, but instead of giving you a two-hour sermon, I cut it out. Be back next week as we look at Noah's prophecy. So we see Noah got drunk. There are some, and I'm not here to fight with you, so just don't worry about it. There are some who go to great lengths to to say Noah was ignorant of the strength of this wine. I personally find that hard to believe. The man lived in an ungodly world for 500 years. It didn't take me long living in the military to realize this is an ungodly world. I I believe he was aware of the dangers, the strengths, the effects of alcohol. I don't think I need to convince anybody here that drunkenness is a sin. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 is really clear. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That's why we're told in Ephesians 18, Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Why? Alcohol puts a different spirit in us. Isn't it interesting that the stores will sell spirits? 
Don't worry, I'm not going to preach on alcohol, so all y'all just chill out. There's plenty of other verses that, that convince us that drunkenness is a sin. And if you like the law first mentioned in the Bible, which I do, I'm not saying you can live by that, but if you look at the law first mentioned, it gives you a good idea of how it's going to be throughout the rest of the Bible. And this is the first time alcohol is ever mentioned. It's associated with drunkenness. First time drunkenness is mentioned, and it's not good. Drunkenness leads to a different spirit. Drunkenness leads to a different behavior. Come on now. I've, I've seen those women, bless them. Their husband's a great guy until he gets drunk. What happens? It's a different spirit. I remember being deployed, and I would have to ride the bus from one end of the island to the other. I wasn't really deployed, all you real deployment guys. I was in Diego Garcia, tropical paradise, but whatever, I was deployed. And you had to go from the Navy side to the Air Force side to, because our commander, Colonel Rice, at the time had made the Air Force side dry. Well, all the Air Force guys did was go to the Navy side to get drunk. And so on the bus ride back, you know, it changes people. People who were once talking to me like this are now going, Hey, how's it going? <laughs> It's like, dude, your volume's off. Oh, it is? <laughs> and then you get the mean guy. Just wants to fight you. I'm like, dude, what did I do? I'm a nice guy. You're looking at me funny. I don't know. I got to tell this story now, but my favorite part of that was when you would stand and wait for the bus. They were school buses. They would allow people to jump out the back because they were so packed. And you know, when you lift that lever on those school buses, you hear the well, you'd hear that, but the drunks couldn't hear it. And so they opened the back. They started walking out. and One walked out and went psh, face down on the floor. And then came the next one. Psh, and the next one. Psh. There was a pile of bodies there. I'm not kidding. Finally, this guy was like, stop. All right, what does that have to do with this? I don't know, except you act different. It leads to different behavior. People end up doing things they wouldn't normally do when they're under the influence of alcohol and other substance abuse. And in the Bible, there are direct connections to drunkenness and sexual immorality, which is still a problem today. Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest also look on their nakedness. We'll, we'll see this if we decide to stay in Genesis. In Genesis 19.32, the daughters of Lot, they say... Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And of course, here in our text, we see the connection between drunkenness and at least some sort of immorality, some sort of nakedness is definitely taking place here. And isn't it interesting how when the first sin happened uh, with Adam and Eve, they knew they were naked and were ashamed. And now here in the new world, the first sin mentioned is Noah being Naked to his shame. Just interesting. His shame is now being revealed. And, and as we have already considered earlier, drunkenness, listen now, I want you to understand this because I've, I've seen too much of it in the military. People will get you drunk just to take advantage of you. You need to tell your daughters that if you ain't. And, and, and here's a guy, he's gotten drunk of his own accord, but what it did was it opened the door for wicked people to take advantage of you. Noah's so inebriated here, he doesn't even know what's going on. Drunkenness leads to embarrassing situations. Drunkenness will compromise our testimony. Preacher, I thought you weren't going to preach on this. 
So here's Noah. He's drunk in his tent. He's uncovered. And remember, I'm trying to stay with the obvious here. Ham sees the nakedness of his father in verse 22. He proceeds to tell his two brothers which are without. Now why does Ham do this? Shouldn't Ham have had enough respect for his father to do what his two brothers are going to do in the next verse? Well, that's the problem here. We can't know for sure. The implication seems to be Ham isn't worried about his father's condition. He's likely disrespecting and mocking his father. And again, we hate to speculate, but some have suggested that perhaps Ham had had been guilty of this and now he sees his righteous father doing it. Now he has occasion to say, oh yeah, look at this guy. Telling me to live this way, look how he is. Who knows? Ham should have tried to honor his father. Listen to me now, because I know many of you, I, I don't like my mom or my dad because of this. Ham should have honored his father. Noah had done so much for Ham. Listen, Ham wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for his father. Literally and literally. At birth and at the flood. This is a man that he should be honoring and and taking care of and, and being concerned about his condition. But he's not. He goes out and he publishes this to his brothers. All he had to do was cover and leave it at that. You see what I'm saying? Proverbs eleven thirteen says, A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. What are you saying, preacher? Stop running your mouth. Whoop. Boy, we're excited to be here today, aren't we? Those who are not right with God will boast in the downfall of others. Happened here once. I've I've never advertised it. I'm not going to give you the details. But how sad. Who are you? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. People are waiting to tear down those who fall, especially those who had a walk with God. If you don't think your testimony is important, you better check again. Proverbs 14, 9, fools make a mock at sin. Proverbs 30 and verse 17, the eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out. The young eagles shall eat it. We see in verse 23 that Shem and Japheth do the right thing by covering their father without even looking upon his shame. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. I hate to start to close this down. I had so much more I wanted to say today. When you get that piece of information, you don't have to pick up the phone. You don't have to go send an email. You don't have to go post things on social media. You don't have to go whisper into somebody's ear. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? You haven't? Well, let me just tell you. And then we use the famous Baptist covering so that you can pray for them. 
No, you just wanted to run your mouth. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks of Aunt B wanting Andy to ask him what it is that she knows. And she's like, I'm not the one gossiping. It was somebody else that told it to me. I'm... Is that the one with the horse races? Go watch that episode. You see what I mean? Let me tell you so you can pray for them. Why don't you just cover the matter? Remember when Saul and Jonathan died? David said in 2 Samuel 1.20, Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Publishing the downfall of others gives the enemy of God an opportunity to boast. Now, let me be clear here because it just entered my mind. I don't want anybody to think otherwise. I am not at all suggesting we sweep things under the rug. We're not going to be that Baptist church. Somebody messes with somebody the wrong way, does we, we will deal with it. And I'm not talking about sweeping stuff under the rug. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about if something is so bad happening in the tent that that person needs help that you don't go and ask for help. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that somebody's in their tent and they're ready to commit suicide and you just go, well, preacher said I'm not supposed to say anything. You say something. Are you with me? But I'm talking about this petty nonsense. Proverbs 26, verses 20 through 22, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So, where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Wasn't that interesting? Because I always grew up saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know what the Bible teaches? Words hurt. They go down deep. Be careful. Maybe there are some here today, you need to stop fueling the fires of tailbearing. It's time for you to do the right thing like Shem and Japheth. Show some love by concealing a matter rather than tearing somebody down. I would venture to say that in America, ill-spoken words among believers have probably been re responsible for tearing down the most churches. Somebody says something, somebody believes it, somebody runs with it, somebody keeps telling it. The next thing you know, there's a schism in the body, there's a division, there's a church split, and it all started because somebody just could not keep their mouth shut. I got to be careful. I, I had a visitor here once, I was preaching like this, and he goes, man, you, you were really dealing with an issue. No, I really wasn't. I was just preaching. And I'm not dealing with an issue. I don't know anybody that's running their mouth. I'm just saying, don't do it. Look, this has been a hard enough text. Just let me have this moment, okay? But don't inadvertently divide our church by your dumb comments. Was that not said right? All right, don't divide this church by ill-spoken words. In the interest of our text, may I say, some children need to stop highlighting the faults of their parents. Stop pointing out the weaknesses to other people to justify how much you don't like being with them or how much you don't want to listen to them. Oh, the preacher's talking about his own kids. I'm not. Just let me preach. <laughs> you know, the Bible still commands us to honor our parents. And, and, and here's what you need to understand is, and I know there are exceptions, okay? I'm not putting everything in a box. There are some very difficult 
uh, parental situations. I understand that. But generally speaking, what you ought to do is you ought to be able to focus on the good that your father has or your mother has and use that as the basis of your relationship instead of focusing on that one event after 600 years of life he decided to do something wrong and got drunk and made a fool of himself. And you use that to say, that's why I don't like my dad. That's why I don't like Christianity. That's why I don't like the church. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. What happened to the over 600 years? The man ended up living, what, 950 years? And you're going to take one moment of his life and say, that's it? But this happens too much in homes. And somebody goes, that's why I don't like him. That's why I don't like my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother. Or my... Hey, wait a minute. What did Noah do? Noah spared Ham's life in essence. I know it was God, but you understand it was because Noah was a righteous man. And, and here we see righteous men can do dumb things. Anyway, I, I'm just saying, listen, there's so many things that we could point out. If you're a parent and you're a child, you know those two people probably better than others, and you've seen more of the false than other people have seen. Are you with me? I know more of faults of my wife. She knows more faults about me than anybody else in here. So what do you do? How do you stay married happily for 27 years? I don't focus on those things. And you got to do that in your relationships. Because what's going to happen is Satan's going to get involved. He's going to sow a seed of discord. And you're going to say, look at what he did. Look at this one moment of time. I hate you. What about all those times he was there for you? Listen, Noah messed up, but it shouldn't erase all that he had done for Ham. I could preach that all day, but I want to tell you this in closing. There may be some here today, and if you, if you kind of lost me in all that, tune me in. There may be some here today, and you're still in your sins. And you need a covering for your sin. You need someone who will not look upon you in disgust and will cover your guilt and your shame. Someone who can do it for you because you're helpless and of yourself. You'll find the answer in Christ. Christ will cover you with His robe of righteousness. Do you see the connection to our text? And Christ can do it without judgment. You say, why would God do that for me? Because Christ took your judgment for you on the cross. He paid your penalty. He took His sin upon you. And you need His robe to be upon you because you cannot cover yourself. And better still, get this, because this is when we're all about to take a lap and get really happy. Christ not only covers us with His robe of righteousness, but get this, His blood washes away our sins. Oh my goodness, that Baptist church is crazy. I know. Everybody sit down. Quit getting so excited. He washes our filthiness away. Your sins can be totally cleansed if you'll simply come to Christ alone for salvation today. Let's pray.